Dan reflects that. He reflects our Savior. He has learned obedience. He has learned more of the nature of God as he has, um, as he has suffered well and for Christ's name. So thank you, Dan, for your example. Greatly appreciate you, brother. Looking forward to praying for you and seeing what God will do uh, after the service here. Um, but for now, we, are, we have the privilege of getting into God's word. So if you could turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 7. Um, today we're going to continue our study in Hebrews, and I know it's been a few weeks um, since we have touched this letter, so I'll just give a quick recap. Um, back in chapter 5, uh, the author of Hebrews began to establish his point that Jesus is the great high priest through whom we have access to God. Um, we learn that, we, that Jesus is this source, as, as Mark uh, preached on, this source of eternal salvation. Um, and it's the reason, he's the reason that we can have confident access to God. So that's chapter 5. Then in chapter 6, the author of Hebrews takes uh, a detour uh, to, to warn those um, who, who, are, who are in danger of wandering from the faith. They're dull in hearing. He says we can't go on to harder things, uh, deeper things, more, more meaty things, because, because you're teeter-tottering on, about the faith. And so he warns them, but that warning ends with an encouragement that Christ has gone before us into the presence of God as a forerunner um, and as a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So that's what Dan preached on, I think it was two weeks ago. So now in chapter 7, the author of Hebrew picks up his argument once again of Christ being this high priest, and then he finally, he finally expounds upon the significance of Christ being a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Because up to this point, he's been dropping hints throughout his letter, and now he finally gets into what does that mean, because it's, that, that's a weird phrase. I don't know. What does after the order of Melchizedek mean? Well, we'll get a chance to see what it means and why it's important for us today. So we're going to actually tackle all of chapter 7 today. I realize that's long, so we're going to do it in chunks. Um, uh, we're going to start by reading verses 1 through 3 which really just introduces the main argument, I think it encapsulates the main argument in this chapter, and then we'll pray for God's word, um, and then as we go, um, we'll, we'll kind of read through the chapter uh, as, we, as we look at um, the, the argument presented here. So, Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 1. This is God's word to us, his inspired word. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Let's pray for God's help. Lord, we now move into the, the deeper, the mysterious, the meteor things of God, the, the intricate pieces of your scripture that um, can otherwise be confusing, Lord. But you, you are not a God of confusion, but a God of, but a God of peace. And so, Lord, I pray that as we study your word, as we dip into 
um, what this is about. I pray that you would transform our understanding of our Savior, of our high priest. I pray that you would lift our gaze above ourselves and our, and our situations and our circumstances and our failures and help us behold the Savior that we have. And I pray that that would transform us and give us joy. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, about a year and a half ago, um, I got hired on at my current job as a technician. So that's basic entry-level position. Um, I'm the lowest man on the totem pole. And at that time, our office, which is a satellite office of a larger company, uh, had very few employees, like 10 or something. And so um, uh, what what happened is I ended up reporting directly to our Colorado business leader. Um, I mean, he led the state. Um, but that was an awkward arrangement, not because he wasn't nice, um, but because of our positions. I was brand new. I'm working with the little details. I'm on the production side of things. Uh, and, and he's working on, uh, he's nearly at the end of his career. He's working on business development. He has these big client relationships. He knows people in the state government. I mean, he's in a different world than I am. He's so senior to me. He, he, he probably should have been my boss's boss's boss, really. Um, And so there's this gap between the world that I worked in on a day-to-day basis and the world that he worked in. Um, He didn't know what I was doing on a day-to-day basis, and it didn't really make sense for him because he had much much bigger fish to fry. Um, And so there's this gap, and and, uh, thankfully, within about six months of being hired, they hired on, of me being hired, uh, they hired on a mid-level manager, um, and she became my supervisor. And then, so now she sits between uh, me and the Colorado business leader. And that was really helpful. Uh, It's been helpful because she's aware of what I do on a day-to-day basis. She knows the work that I do. She can sympathize with the work that I do because it hasn't been, you know, four decades since she's done it. It's been one. Um, And uh, maybe not four. I don't know. Um, (laughs) He's near retirement. but she can, she, but, and yet, though she can sympathize with where I'm at and what my goals are, my daily tasks are, my you know, accountability, what I'm supposed to do, she also has the ability to interact meaningfully with this business leader. Um, she's a manager. She's been doing this for a few years. And so she can touch both worlds. Uh, and in so doing, she can, she, she can go to bat for me. And she's done that. She's been able to say, here's where you want to go next. All right, I will talk to the higher-ups and, and see how we can get you there. Um, She's been an advocate for me, and, bec- and since she's shown up, I have, the, I have a better relationship now with the, with the business leader because I have someone to advocate for me. Well, we all face a similar scenario in the spiritual realm. Um, we are lowly and sinful men, bottom of the totem pole, and we cannot interface directly with God Most High, creator of the universe, uh, there is a gap between God and man, and we need a mediator to fill that gap, one who can touch both worlds, and someone who understands our position and yet has the clout to go before God himself on our behalf, to go to bat for us, as it were. Well, in Christ Jesus, we have such a mediator for those who believe. Um, he bridges that gap between God and man, and that's what it means that he is our high priest. He mediates this relationship. He intercedes for us on our behalf. He advocates for us. He makes access to God possible by being a representative on our behalf. And that's the point that the author of Hebrews intends to make today. 
He's saying that Jesus is this high priest, in fact, is the best high priest that we could possibly have. He's the best access to which we have the ability to draw near God. In a word, Jesus is the better high priest through whom we have confidence to draw near God. Today, perhaps you feel that God is aloof. You feel like you're the entry-level employee unable to interact with this senior-level leader. That's a grand understatement. Um, but you may be so aware of your sins and your inadequacies and your weaknesses that, uh, that you think you really can't come to God um, uh, with full confidence that he's going to accept you and love you and be happy to see you. Um, I am so right now aware of my sins, inadequacies, and weaknesses that I have to apply myself to believe the fact that in Christ Jesus I have access to God right now. And that's the good news that we have, though, is if we've repented of our sins and trusted in Christ to be that mediator, we have direct access to God through him. The gap is closed. Christ brings us in the very presence of God. So that's what we're going to see today. We'll see just how qualified Jesus is to be that high priest, and we are going to gain confidence by God's grace that we can indeed draw near to God. So the way we're going to do that is by looking at two comparisons that the author of Hebrews makes as he builds this case for why Jesus is, in fact, the best high priest that we could possibly have. So the first comparison is that Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, and the second comparison is that Melchizedek's legacy is greater than Abraham's. Now, that may not be apparently or immediately apparent why on earth those comparisons relate to Jesus being a high priest, but we're going to get there. Okay, um, the author of Hebrews is building his case, and he's writing to an audience who's familiar uh, with the Old Testament, with um, this background of priesthood, and so we're gonna we're gonna walk through some details. So we're gonna have to be patient. We're gonna go along with him, but those details are going to paint a picture of a glorious Savior. Um, And then just as a heads up, point two is going to be a little bit longer, so hang in there as well, but it's going to be where we most clearly see how this truth applies to our life. So without further ado, let's jump in and look at the first comparison. That is that Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. So let's start with some background on Melchizedek. Um, Who is he? Well, We learn about him from Genesis chapter 14. Uh, In that chapter, we learn that here's the background, that there's four kings uh, who who are near where Abraham lived at the time. Uh, They had gone to war with five kings. So there was this battle, and the four kings won against the five kings, and they took a lot of captives, including Lot, who was Abraham's nephew. And then Abraham learns about this, and then he, with only 318 men uh, from his little little clan, they go out and they defeat these four victorious kings and they rescue uh, Abraham's uh, nephew, Lot. And a quick note, Melchizedek, who's about to enter the scene, we're about to read it, he is not one of these nine kings we've already talked about, okay? He shows up out of the blue, um, which is significant, as we'll see. So that's the setting. Then Genesis 14, 17 continues this way. It says, and hopefully it's on the screen. Um, If not, just listen. Uh, after his, that is Abraham's, return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, who was one of the defeated kings, went out to meet him at the valley of Sheba, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. 
he was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. We're going to look at the significance of, of the events that happened here in a minute, but for now, just note three things about Melchizedek, okay? First, he's called priest of God Most High. Now, note, this is well before the priesthood of, uh, the Levitical priesthood that was established through Aaron um, and, and through Moses as he wrote the law. Aaron was, uh, was um, Abraham's great, 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 great grandson, okay? So much further down the line are we actually introduced to the priesthood, which I can forget. So remember that. This is way before this has been mentioned. And yet here, Melchizedek is recognized priest of God most high. Okay, so he's a priest, kind of mysteriously. Second, Melchizedek is king of Salem. And as the author of Hebrews points out, Salem means peace. And the name Melchizedek, Melchizedek itself means king of righteousness. So Melchizedek, king of Salem, is both king of righteousness and king of peace. So he's this righteous peace king, okay? Priest is peace, righteous king. And then third, Melchizedek mysteriously has no beginning and no end. The author of Hebrews points this out in Hebrews uh, 7, uh, verse 3. He says, He, Melchizedek, is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Okay, so we have this priest who precedes the Levites, who's a king of both righteousness and peace, and who also lasts forever. It's an interesting character. What's the significance of this? Why does it matter? Well, the author of Hebrews says in verse 3 that Melchizedek, this kingly, eternal priest, resembles the, the Sunday school answer. Yes, Jesus, <laughs> the very Son of God. That is, Melchizedek foreshadows who Jesus is. Uh, Jesus is our eternal priest king. And so when we get to see um, the greatness of Melchizedek, which we're about to look at, we're we can recognize that we get a glimpse of the greatness of Jesus, who Melchizedek resembles. So let's figure out just how great Melchizedek is, and that will help us understand more of the greatness of Christ. So how great is this Melchizedek? Well, he's a whole lot greater than Abraham. And uh, that's the point in, in Hebrews 7, verses 4 through 10. So let's now go on to that chunk of, of Scripture, Hebrews 7, 4 through 10, to see just how much greater Melchizedek is than Abraham with this context in mind. So verse 4 says, see, and hopefully this is on the screen as well. There we go. Um, see how great this man, Melchizedek, was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. 
One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So there are two main ways here where we see that Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. So first, Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils to Melchizedek. Remember, Abraham just had gone out and beat the four kings who had themselves just beat five kings. That's quite a victory. There's probably a lot of spoil here. Um, it reminds me of, of the, the, um, the part in The Hobbit where you've got the Battle of the Five Armies. I don't know if, hopefully you've read that. Um, the Battle of the Five Armies is where you've got, I think it's men, elves, dwarves uh, are fighting against, uh, I think, the goblins and the wolves, and it's this epic clash. Uh, so there's this Battle of the Five Armies, and, and, they, and they, they fight over, and, 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 and you know, the good guys win over the bad guys, and they, they divide up all, of the, all of the vast treasures of the recently slain uh, dragon Smaug. So there's spoil, there's this big epic battle. Except in this case, there's actually nine armies, and little Abraham with his 318 men, they, they win the day. They claim it all. I mean, this is, a, this is a fantastic victory that God has given Abraham. Abraham's looking pretty cool right now. Um, he's, he's received not, not only all that wealth, not only the victory that he just accomplished, but he's also, before that, he received God's personal promise to him that he'll be the father of many nations, the author of Hebrews calls him Abraham the patriarch. He's reminding us, this Abraham is a pretty sweet action dude. He's the father of all these people whom God is saying, I am I'm making you my chosen people. So Abraham seems like a pretty great dude. And yet, when Melchizedek arrives on the scene, Abraham gives him a tenth, a whole tenth of all, this, of all of his hard-won spoils. Why? Well, he recognizes Melchizedek for who he is, the priest of God. He acknowledges that Melchizedek is a representative between him, Abraham, and God. And so Abraham honors Melchizedek with this enormous gift, recognizing that his victory is from God. As he honors Melchizedek, he is honoring God since Melchizedek represents God. And Jesus, whom Melchizedek resembles, is God's representative to us. He, like Melchizedek, deserves our utmost honor. So when you receive that answered prayer, or, or you over, overcome, you have victory over that stubborn sin that you've been fighting for years, or you get that promotion you've been aiming for at work, you've been exercising uh, everything you're able to do, you're trying to work hard or you're trying to uh, advocate for your position. When you have those successes, honor Christ. Celebrate him in front of others. Through him, we receive all good things from God. He is the one to whom we can give honor because God is the one who gives us all good things. So that's one application we can draw from that. But Melchizedek is not only greater because he received tithes, or we see it through receiving tithes, he's also shown to be greater than Abraham through his blessing of Abraham. Uh, the author of Hebrews says, it is beyond dispute, uh, well, I should back up, he, he blesses, right? Remember, uh, Abraham gives Melchizedek this tithe, and then uh, Melchizedek in return blesses Abraham, says, blessed be Abraham by God most high. So, 
the author of Hebrews says, it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. So I think of the blessings, uh, not, we're not too used to like blessing, and I, I, I got the question in my head of why is it beyond dispute? It seems like, well, anybody could bless anybody. Why not? Like, oh, bless you. That's great. You sneeze, bless you. It's not that. <laughs> so why, why, why is the Hebrew author say it's beyond dispute? This is clear that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Well, think of, think of, um, think of Jacob uh, blessing his, his 12 sons uh, before his death. Uh, these words have weight. It's not just well-wishing. His words have a, a, a degree. His blessing has a degree of power, a degree of influence in directing uh, the outcomes of the lives of his sons and their descendants. And so Jacob, the, the superior, blessed his sons, the inferior. And so too with Melchizedek and Abraham. Abraham, for all his greatness, and in one sense he was quite great, is still inferior to Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, God's representative, blesses Abraham. Just note here the amazing kindness of God that his representatives, who are greater than us, bless God's people. Through Melchizedek, Melchizedek didn't have to bless Abraham. He was, he was above him. He could have just been like, yeah, thanks. That's, that's what you should do to God's representative. You're good. No, he says, blessed be Abraham by God most high. And that's Christ toward us. God, Christ, who is God's ultimate representative, he blesses us. That's God's mercy. That's his heart toward us. His representatives are full of blessing, and we see that in Christ. And so Melchizedek, God's representative who resembles the Son of God, he's far greater than Abraham, who is merely, like us, a recipient of God's promises and mercy and grace. And so, friends, we always um, ought to have the posture of recognizing that no matter how great we become, um, no matter how far we advance in this life, we are always blessedly, <laughs> blessedly inferior to our Savior. I think of John the Baptist. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's a good position to be in. Inferiors, <laughs> blessed by a superior uh, priest. So we want to keep that perspective. Okay, so we've seen now that Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, and, and we're getting a glimpse of this greatness of Christ whom Melchizedek resembles. But we're not done. The author of Hebrews goes on to make a second comparison. We've already seen Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. The second comparison is that Melchizedek's legacy is greater than Abraham's. Now, what do I mean by legacy? Well, Abraham's legacy was his offspring. Remember from the song, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, right? Um, well, a part of those sons included Moses, to whom the law was given. That's a great honor. Uh, one of those sons was Aaron, through whom the Levitical priesthood was established. So both the law through which the people know God and the priesthood through which the people had access to God, they were a part of Abraham's legacy. But Melchizedek's legacy is even better than Abraham's. So while Abraham's legacy includes the Levitical priesthood, Melchizedek's legacy is the eternal priesthood of Christ. It's the author's goal to convince us of how much better this eternal priesthood of Christ is compared to that Levitical priesthood. 
And he expounds upon four ways that Christ's priesthood is better than that of the Levites. So that is, compared to the Levitical priesthood, which was an honor, which was a good thing, the eternal priesthood of Christ has a better qualification, a better promise, a better duration, and a better righteousness. I mean, he is, he is just going all out. He, he wants to show the supremacy of Christ, how incredibly qualified he is as our high priest. So we're going to walk through each of those, and, and here's where we'll get to a little more applications. So thanks for holding on through some of the details. But first, uh, the first way in which Christ's priesthood, eternal priesthood, is better than that of Levites is that Jesus' priesthood has an eternal, I'm sorry, a better qualification. It has a better qualification. We get that from verses 11 through 19. Let's read those now. Uh, Verses 11 through 19 say this. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? rather than the one named after the order of Aaron. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. So here's the logic. Okay, there's a, that's a lot of text. The Mosaic law appointed priests based on the fact that they were descendants of Levi. Okay, that's their qualification. But this system that was in place, it couldn't make anything perfect. It couldn't perfectly cleanse people from their sins and make them right before God. Um, Later in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, the blood of bulls and goats, which were the sacrifices made by these priests, could not take away sins. It was insufficient. It was a weak system. It did not work. The author of Hebrews describes the law as uh, as weak and useless in verse 18. That's those are powerful words. I mean, this is the whole Old Testament systematic law and priesthood that the, the Hebrew uh, you know, audience was, was very accustomed, accustomed to. And he says, it's useless. I mean, those are no small words. So he's saying this old system that cannot make perfection happen is replaced with a new one um, in which Jesus is the priest. Uh, but, but Jesus is this priest uh, not, not based on being a descendant of Levi, since he was descended from Judah. Uh, so the question is, well, then what is Jesus' qualification? Right? He's not a Levite. He shouldn't be a priest. No one has ever served at the altar who hasn't been a Levite. It's weird that someone from Judah, where like kings come from, from Judah comes this priest. So what is Jesus' qualification for being a priest? Well, his qualification matches that of Melchizedek's. And that is, he's qualified 
by the power of an indestructible life, as we read. So verse 17 is a quote from Psalm 110 where God promises to the Davidic king, and this is speaking prophetically of Jesus, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That is in line with the way that he's a priest. Melchizedek's a priest based on the fact that he has no beginning or end. Christ is qualified as a priest because of his indestructible life. And so Jesus, who is a better qualified priest than that of the Levites, replaces the Levitical priesthood. That's like when you have a really incompetent manager. I'm going back to the manager situation again. You have a really incompetent manager who maybe they just got the job because they were somebody's son, right? Um, But they really shouldn't be there. Um, And that old manager is really ineffective at their job. Um, But the new one, let's say they, they get rid of him, they bring on a new one. That new one understands you and advocates for you and seeks to help you in your career. And and, and on this new manager's resume is indestructible life. <laughs> well qualified. <laughs> That's what Jesus is to us. He's, he's the most, I, I hate to use the word manager because we, we see that in such a negative term sometimes, but in one sense, he's like the most qualified manager ever. He is fit for the job. Um, his resume is robust. He has an indestructible life. And that should bring hope to us um, because Jesus, this qualified priest, he represents us before God. He not only represents God to us, but he represents us before God. And he advocates for us better than anyone else could. So, so we can have hope that in this life, we do in fact have God's ear because we have a very qualified high priest. Verse 19 says, because of all this, a better hope is introduced a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. So take heart, have hope. You can draw near to God, not because of your merits, uh, not because of what you've done, not because of how great you are or how pure you've been, but because you have a qualified high priest if you trust in him as Savior. But Jesus' priesthood doesn't just have a better qualification, it also has a better promise. Verses 20 through 22, they say this, and it was not without an oath, that is Jesus becoming a priest. So it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Um, the Levitical priests, who were sons of Abraham, they were recipients of God's promises. Uh, back in verse 6, the author describes Abraham as uh, to him, the, the, him who had the promises, right? That's who Abraham is. He's a recipient of God's promise. That's significant. But what the Levites don't have, they have the promises, but what they don't have is an oath, which is a level up from a promise, as, as, as Dan was mentioning uh, two weeks ago, as God makes these oaths, they are bigger and better than promises. The Levites didn't have an oath, but Jesus did get an oath. And what was that oath? Well, it's from this quote. It's that the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind that Jesus is a priest forever. So that's the oath, that God will never change his mind about making Jesus our priest. So you could say in one sense that Jesus, or that Jesus, that God changed his mind, quotes, 
about the Levites being priests. They were for a time. They're no longer priests. They aren't priests of God on our behalf. They got replaced. Jesus remains a priest forever because he has an unchanging oath. No one's going to replace him. He's not going to retire or get fired or quit. (laughs) He will continually be our high priest because of the oath that we have. And believer, that means that your relationship with God is always going to be based on Christ. It won't change from that. It's not based on your behavior or your relationship with your spouse or your child or your friend. It's based on Christ, and that isn't going to change. God won't change his mind. And so as he sees Christ, because we're united in him by faith, so he sees you. It's guaranteed. And it's guaranteed forever. For Christ's priesthood has a better duration. That's the third way in which it's better. A better duration. Verses 23 and 24 say this. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. So whereas the Levites were only temporary priests because they were mortal, right? They're a priest and then they died and you can't really be a priest if you're dead. Um, Jesus is this permanent priest because he's immortal. He can't die off. He's going to remain our priest forever. And because he remains our priest forever, he can always make intercession for us. I heard, I heard someone describe the role that Jesus plays in heaven right now. Um, I've, I've been helped by this as uh, the picture is that there's a door between us and God that we, we can't open. We can't access God. He is closed off from us. He is too holy. And so we need someone to open that door, but you know, the door needs to be like, kept open. It can't just be opened by somebody, and then we have to follow, you know, follow suit. So the picture is that Jesus is here opening this door between us and God. But the cool thing is, is he stays there. He keeps that access open. As long as Jesus lives, we have access to God. So good thing he lives forever, because then we have access to God forever. It's not going to change in heaven. We have the same basis for our standing before God, which is our righteousness in Christ. That is where our hope is. Uh, That is a a much fuller salvation than that of the Old Testament. And that's what the author of Hebrews says in verse 25. He says, because of this, this eternal priesthood, consequently... He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. It's not a partial salvation. It's not a temporary salvation. It is a full, a complete, and eternal salvation. And since we always have Christ interceding before us to God, we can always access God. So that means we can access God right after we've sinned. Let's see, you made it very aware. I was angry with my son again. Dang, there's got to be some like holding period before I'm okay to go back to God. No, it's not true. We have access to God at every moment, right after we sinned, in the middle of the night when we cry out to him, during a season of long spiritual drought where we say, God, I don't even have a desire for you. Even then, we can draw near. He's present. He wants to give us help and grace, and we have it because Christ is our eternal high priest. Those who look to Christ for salvation always, always have access to God. 
And then finally, Jesus is a better high priest because of his better righteousness. Verses 26 or 28. I, I like these verses. It's a good way to end. Say this. He says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. The Levitical priests had to offer sacrifices daily, and that included for their own sins. But Jesus, who is sinless, had no need to repeatedly atone for sin. No, he did it once and for all on the cross. Um, there, he, he took all of the blame for our sin, all of the guilt that we deserved, all of the wrath of God, he, dropped, he drank to the last drop. There is not one drop of God's wrath that was left undrunk. There's no more atonement that needs to be made. We can't atone any more than Christ has because he's done it in full. Christ has made all of that atonement. So we don't need to rely on our own sense of righteousness for our standing before God. Um, I'm often guilty of this. I think God likes me more on the days where I feel like I'm doing better <laughs> and that he's disappointed with me on the days where I'm just totally blowing it again and again. It's not true. He is glad. <laughs> he sees me as his son because Christ has paid for all of my sins and given me his righteousness. That is true because Christ has a better righteousness. Because we're united to Christ, God sees us, bottom of the totem pole us, as holy, as innocent, as unstained, just like his son. And we're credited, the reason is it's because we're credited with Christ's own righteousness and it can't be taken away from us. So are you lacking hope for the future? Remember that Jesus is your qualified representative before God who seeks not, your, not only your good in this life, but your eternal good. Let that give you hope. Are you lacking assurance of God's love for you? Remember that God took the initiative to swear and to not change his mind that his own son would be the one to mediate his relationship with you and him. He made a way to know you because he loves you. Gain assurance in that. Are you aware, like I am often, of your many, many faults and failures? then remember the high priest who continually and eternally intercedes for you. He is praying for you on your behalf. He's pleading your case to God always. Right now, you have a priest pleading your case to God. Do you feel unworthy to draw near God? Remember that you have a high priest who grants you his own righteousness if you have faith in him, and, and who invites you into the very presence of God. Jesus is our great 
greatest high priest. And he's the greatest there will ever be. So therefore, as Hebrews 4.16 commends us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the glorious and mysterious um, nature of Christ, our priest, who makes it so that we can know you, Lord. We ought not to know you um, by our own sin, um, by our own weakness, our frailty, and yet you have made a way, and you have made this way secure. You have made it unchanging. You have made it perfect, Lord, and you've been so kind as to remind us of that, to help us see the truth and, and the different facets of the fact that we have a Savior who makes you accessible to us and makes your love known to us. And so, Lord, I just pray that um, as we continue throughout this week, that we would have a greater awareness of the fact that you invite us at all times because of Christ to draw near to a throne of grace so that we may receive help in time of need. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand, sing, and respond.